Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I love the grace of God. I love the grace of God. And oftentimes, as believers, we forget the power of the grace of God and all that it brings to us. So let me ask you a question, simple question. When I ask you this word or this, this statement, what does the throne of God represent to you? What picture comes into your mind when I say the throne of God? Now, I have a picture, my first vivid picture. I was, I was not a Christian. That, I was in my B.C. days. How many of you know what B.C. means? Before Christ. It was my, my before Christ. I was not in church. I was being discipled by two of my mentors named Cheech and Chong. Oh, some of y'all were discipled by them too, weren't you? And, and uh, I was being discipled by Cheech and Chong, and my older brother was my hero, and, and, and he was a drug dealer. And so he was five years older than me, so any time that I could be with his friends, I just felt cool. How many of you had older siblings and you remember that? Okay, a lot of first children here today. And, and, I, and so I was with them, and I don't remember what, what uh, medicine from Cheech and Chong had been dispensed to me. But I, I do remember that it, that it wasn't just uh, normal stuff. And so... I began to overdose, and I began to believe that I was dying. And I just began, I, apparently, I don't know what I was doing, but the people around me, they, they were pretty uh, paranoid and, 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 and freaked out. And so the next thing that I remember is my brother's friends had my head under a kitchen sink, and they were throwing water on me, and they were saying, Frank's little brother's OD'd. Frank's little brother's OD'ing. Frank's little brother. And, and I, what I remember when I came to was the, the thought that I was dying and that my whole life was flashing before my eyes. Have any of you ever had one of those experiences? And, I, and in my mind, I was hallucinating that I was dying and I was going to stand before the judgment seat of God in that state. And in my mind, it was not good. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what the judgment seat of God or what the throne of God means? I wasn't raised uh, Catholic, but my wife was. She was in parochial school and, you know, what, all of her life, Fatima and, and, and before that. I'm just all, all the way through parochial school until her sophomore year when she actually moved to what is now LCA and graduated from there. And she told me that when you were growing up, that you go to your first confession. How many of you went to remember your first confession? Okay. And she said she was so paranoid because she didn't know what she was going to confess. So she had to think of something. She had to think of something. So she went to her first confession and she lied she, had, she lied to think of something uh, up that she could confess. 
So at least when she went the second time, she did have something to confess. I lied the last time I was here. <laughs> but literally, she said as a little girl, I, mean, I was telling this last week, she said in the front row, she's going, that's exactly, I, I had to think of something that I, I just, to, that was bad so that I could confess. When you think of the throne of God, what do you think of? How do you feel? Does it make you afraid? Guilty? Does it make you want to run to it or does it make you want to hide? A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward whatever mental image it is that we have of God. Dr. Darius Daniels, one of our church's favorite preachers, says it like this. You don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. And then he said when Jesus went to his hometown, he was doing miracles. He was raising the dead. He was doing all kinds of miraculous things for people. But when he got to his hometown, it said he could not do many miracles there except the fact that he healed a few people because of their unbelief. When he came to town, they said, isn't that Mary's boy? Isn't that the carpenter's son? Didn't he do the patio on your cousin and him's house? And then as only Dr. Darius could say so eloquently, he said this. He said, if when you look at Jesus, all you see is a carpenter, then all you can get is your porch fixed or your roof fixed or your garage fixed. But if you see a savior, you can get your son fixed. You can get your marriage fixed. You can get your soul fixed. Because you don't get the God you want, you get the God that you see. So again, how do you see God? This is so important because man has been hiding and running from God since the Garden of Eden all the way to the prodigal of the pig pen when he ran from his father's house and said, give me what's mine and left to go on his own to you and me when we run from God ourselves. Did you know that the devil only has three tools to use against us in all of his tool chest? As a matter of fact, that's why it's so important for you to learn the word of God. Because he only has three things that he can use. And if you understand them, then you know what he's going to use when he is using them against you. The devil is called a liar. Say that, liar. liar. A deceiver. Say that, deceiver. deceiver. And accuser. So he lies, he deceives, and he accuses. These are the tools of his trade against all of humanity. So what has he told you about God? What lies has he told you about God? Your view of God on the throne is either divine because it's based on the Bible or it's deceived and literally demonic because it's based on the devil's deceiving and lying and accusing this isn't any small thing. This is how he got Adam and Eve. There's only been two perfect people in a perfect environment ever. It was Adam and Eve in the garden. And how did the enemy get them to cause the entire civilization of humanity to fall? By lying and and when when Eve was in the garden and he came and said, Hey, Eve, 
Well, why don't you eat of the one tree in the garden that God said you couldn't eat of? There are 2,500 different types of trees in the world. God said you couldn't eat of one. But the enemy, through his lying and deceiving and accusing, made that one tree look better than the other 2,499. And then he said, you can eat of the tree. And Eve said, no, I can't because God said in the day I touch or eat of the tree, I'm going to die. And the devil said, you won't die. Lie. You won't die. Then he says this, for God knows in the day you touch or eat of the tree, you will become like him. Deception. Which by the way, we were created in the image of God. They were more like God at that moment than they would ever be for the rest of their lives. And then they ate and the world fell. And immediately, do you know what they did? What did they start doing immediately? They start partying? Did they go to Mardi Gras? No, what did they do? They started hiding. They started hiding. And they went into the fig leaves tree, got figs, and fig leaves and covered themselves. How many of you have ever touched a fig leaf? You know what it feels like? It feels like fiberglass, like sandpaper. Can you imagine putting sandpaper on the most sensitive areas of your body? You know what? Covering up hurts. And they were hiding painfully. And God came and he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And remember, when God asks questions, it's not because he wants an answer. It's because he wants you to know something he already knows. So he said, where are you? And they said, we're, 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 we're hiding. And God said, why are you hiding? And they said, because we're naked. naked. And then God said, who told you? Who have you been listening to? What liar, deceiver, and accuser have you been listening to? And from that day to today, man is still hiding from the one that loves him the most. He's still hiding. So this is no small thing. Your view of God will have you hiding from God when you sin or if it's the right one running to God like the prodigal when he finally got sick of the pig pen. And finally, his daddy went from being the old man who he couldn't wait to get away from to my old man, I mean, my daddy, I'm going to go back home. My servants that I lived with, they have it better than I have right now. And then he turned when he came to himself, the Bible says, and he began heading home. Little did he know that every day his daddy had been on the porch praying and waiting. God, bring my boy back home. God, I don't know what he's done, but I know it's not good. God, bring him back home. And when he began walking down the road towards the house, on that farm road, the Bible says, the father who represents God, what did he do? He ran to him. You see, the enemies lying, deceiving, and accusing had us hiding from the very person that as soon as we're honest, he comes running to us. That's why it is so important. The word grace is used 131 times in the Bible. 124 times in the New Testament, 86 times in the writing of Paul. 
But it's John that gives us the entrance to understanding the difference between law and grace. And listen what he says in John 1.17. For the law was given through who? Moses. Moses. God gave Moses the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was the truth, but grace and truth came through Jesus. How did man have his sin forgiven under the law before Jesus? When Pastor David was doing communion, he gave us a little bit of insight. God commanded Moses to build something called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Noah built an ark. That's a different ark. This is our Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant ultimately ended up being three things in the holiest part. Okay, on the outer side, I'm going to talk to you about it in just a minute. But in the middle was the, the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. There was the mercy seat. There was the Ten Commandments. There was some manna, and there was uh, Aaron's rod that budded miraculously. It bloomed. They were there. And that mercy seat was a place where the high priest would go in once a year, and he would go and sacrifice for the sins of all the people. When David's son Solomon built the temple, it became Solomon's temple, and instead of carrying this around, they moved it into one place. And in that place, there was an outer court. When you sinned, you came and you brought an animal for your sin, whatever it was. And there was literally in the Old Testament, you can go, if you did this sin, if you can afford this, you bring this. And so what happened, remember when Jesus turned over all the money changers? Remember that? Do you know why Jesus did that? Because people couldn't bring a sacrifice from a long distance and they would go to buy animals. But the money changers, because it was right there at the temple, were charging exorbitant prices. And so Jesus became furious with them because instead of helping people, they were actually gouging people because they were right there to give a sacrifice. And so the the priest would get an animal and he would go into one court and he would sacrifice it. And they do that every day. There were literally tribes of priests. They went in and all they did was offer daily sacrifices. But once a year, the high priest would go in to the holiest of holies. That was the inner chamber where the mercy seat was. And he would sacrifice a bull for his sins and then a lamb without spot or without blemish for the sins of the people. That day was called the day of atonement. Jews call it Yom Kippur. And he would go and he would sacrifice that day. And when he went in, he had bells on his robe all around. Because when you go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence is, if you are right with God, guess what happened? Oral history tells us that he would have a rope on his leg. Because if they heard the bells stop moving for an extended period of time, they pulled him out. Why? Because the Bible says no one can see God and live. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God and survive. Sin separates us from the presence of God. That's the Old Testament. That's before Jesus. Protecting that place, the Holy of Holies, was a large curtain that was between 60 and 90 feet high and two to three inches thick. 
And do you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross and he became the sin payment for all of mankind's sin, past, present, and future? And he said, it is finished. Do you know what happened to that curtain? It got miraculously, the earthquake, and it was torn in two. And God said, no longer will I live in temples made with men's hands, but now you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in reality, we don't go to church. We, we are the church. We gather in a building. We gather in a building. So now that you understand that, let's look at what Hebrews says, where we stand as believers. Hebrews 10, 11. Yet every priest still served ritually, offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can... Never take away sin's guilt. It wasn't cleansed. It was simply covered. It was like sweeping it under the rug. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered one supreme sacrifice for sin for all times, that was himself, he sat down at the throne of the right hand of God. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to baptize him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. He would be the ultimate sacrifice waiting until all the whispering enemies are subjected and turned into his footstool. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us, he made us what? Okay, listen to me. This is positionally. There's positional righteousness and practical sanctification. What does that mean? I just dedicated crew. He's a fusile. He is a fusile. He's always going to be a fusile. His daddy's not going to give him the car now. Are you? No. By the time he grows up, his daddy's a doctor, his mama's a pharmacist, he's going to have duck and goose leases all across Louisiana that I will be going to to bless. (laughs) He will not have worked for that. He would have not done anything for that other than he is his father's son in right standings. When you become a born-again child of God, God looks at you in Christ, and you are perfect in your standings with God while he's still working out all your issues. Look at the person beside you and go, you got issues. Everybody has issues. Do you know why? Because if God changed everything in us, the moment that we got saved, we would die. If God showed you everything that needs to change in your life, that's why it's a daily process Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all times. The Holy Spirit confirms this by the scripture. For the Lord says, afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws on there and fasten my word to there. And he says to them, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Your mama might remember them. Your ex might remember them. Your ex's ex might remember them. But the God who knows everything in the universe forgot all of your sin the day you were born again. So if our sins have been forgiven and, and why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? And now we are brothers and sisters in the family of God because of the He is blood that was shed on that mercy seat. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary, the heavenly realm. 
And he wants us to come boldly and without hesitation. And he has dedicated a new way, a life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the bell was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. You don't have to light candles. You don't have to give money. You tithe because In order for you to put God first, he has to be first in everything in your life. And money has such a grip that if you don't honor God first with it, it will take over your heart instead of God. You know why you tithe? People go, Pastor, does God want my money? No, he wants your heart. But in order to do that, sometimes you got to go through your wallet. The Bible says you will either serve God or money. Tithing is the way to constantly remind yourself it came from God. It's for God. He gave it. He can take it away. It's all God's. So then let us fearlessly and confidently go boldly near the throne of God. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 is going to tell us in the Amplified Version. Listen to what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and and have our shared feelings. Do you know why Jesus became a man? You know why he took on flesh and blood? So that he would understand what you go through. Our feelings with our weaknesses and, and the liability and assault of temptation. But one who was tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near the throne of the throne of God's unmerited favor for sinners that we may receive mercy for our failures and we may find grace and help in a good time for every need appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Jesus came to become the sin sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, to tear the veil in two so that a priest didn't have to go for us. This is why we don't believe that you have to confess to a man to be forgiven. Jesus is our high priest. But the author of the book of Hebrews tells us three things here. Number one, he understands. He understands. I know that there are people that think, you know, there are men here. Let me just share this to you. Let me just share this with you. All men struggle with lust. Well, pastor, pastor, you don't know me. No, if that's your attitude, you not only struggle with lust, you struggle with lying too. <laughs> Just like all women struggle with insecurity. It's true. It is the tools of the trade of the enemy against us. Understand that. Jesus understands. The Bible says he knows our weaknesses. Part of the reason why he became flesh and blood was not only to become the sin sacrifice, but so that he would understand. Joseph, my son, uh, did, did his first funeral the other day by himself. And uh, when, when he did that funeral, it was for a 23-year-old boy who died coming back from work in Houston. He had a brother that was two years older. Six years ago, his father took his life. 
So before he went, we were going over all of his notes for the, for the funeral. And I said, son, I can tell you what you can say to him that very few people can say when you lose a brother. You know what it is? I understand. I understand. Because when Wesley was run over six years ago in Kali Saloon when he was on a motorcycle, Joseph was 100 yards away from him. He understands. Jesus came and took on flesh and blood so that when you were at your weariest moment, he could say, I understand. Here's the second thing it tells us is he, he sympathizes with us. He, he, he sympathizes with us. And then it says he has shared feelings with us. He was tempted just like you and me. And then it says he has this with our weaknesses. You know all of us have weaknesses. How many of you know everybody got weaknesses? Okay, let me try that one more time because those of you who couldn't raise your hand, you got a weakness. It's telling the truth. How many of you know we all have weaknesses? Raise your hand. Every family has different sin flesh patterns. All of us have different ones. Okay, my family, I inherited great genes, four generations of adulterers. True. My daddy's been married five times and was his daddy who ran around until the last years of his life when he became a Christian, just like my daddy. And then his grandfather, his, my, my, will be my great grand, great, great grandfather, great grandfather who ran off with Pancho Villa and left his family in Mexico. All of the Iran's of men are womanizers, drinkers, and proud. They'd be good Cajuns. I, I know that's the flesh pattern in my family. So there are things, I, I don't watch R-rated movies, period. I watch The Passion of the Christ. It was R-rated. But I don't watch R-rated movies. Why? I can't see half-naked people and it not affect me. Maybe you're so holy you can Liar. Okay. Violent movies. It, it, I mean, it grieves my spirit. It, 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 it's, it's, it, it, it quenches the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Okay, l- listen. I know Jesus drank wine. Okay, I know. Yes, Jesus, the Cajun miracle. Jesus turned water into wine. Cajun's been trying to turn margaritas into wine ever since. Listen. Jesus did drink wine. And there may be people that can have a glass or two of wine and be fine. Not my tribe. Not mine. I'm from the tribe of one is too many and a hundred's not enough. How many of you came from that family? Okay. Do you know what your greatest strength is? It's knowing your greatest weakness. Your greatest strength is knowing your greatest weakness. I know that I can't be around that. I know that I can't just have one drink. So there's some people that can't. I can't. And I know that. Jesus understands all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses. But he gives us grace. And this is my favorite acronym acronym for grace. Say that with me. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Say it with me. God's riches at Christ's expense. One more time. God's riches at Christ's expense. Let me explain this. That means I'm on Jesus' credit card. Let me give you a good example. My son Joseph, who's been married, uh, I think, 
four years now, they just sold their house in Youngsville and moved on to our house with us. And you know, I, I love I mean, We They have John Wesley, our, our was one and a half year old son who was just named after my son, just a joy, just amazing. And and I just, I was thinking the other day, man, I am so blessed. I mean, Joseph loves me. Like he loves being in ministry with me. He loves hanging out with me. Like, like he wants me to go with him everywhere. Daddy, daddy, we're going to take the boat out. You want to go? Sure. Daddy, we're going to eat Ruth's Chris. You want to go? Sure. Daddy, we're going to eat Fizos. You want to go? Sure. And I started thinking, I'm so blessed that he wants me to go everywhere. And then I started realizing, I pay to get the boat full up. I pay to go to Ruth's Chris. I pay. Hold it. Wait a minute. Is any parents and grandparents know what I'm talking about? Come on, shout at me when I'm preaching real good. <laughs> you know what grace is? Grace is me doing life on Jesus' sacrifice and credit card that he laid out of himself. He paid it. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So now the scripture tells us we can do three things that a high priest could never do during the time of Jesus. Those high priests in the Old Testament, they could never do these three things. He says, number one, we can come to the throne of God fearlessly. Fearlessly. Remember, they were always afraid that if they went into that place and they had any sin in their life, boom, they'd die on the spot. We can go in fearlessly. Why? Because we have favor with God. 1 John 4.18 says, Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment, what? Far from our hearts. The King James says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Do you know what casts us away from God? Fear. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus cast the thing out that casted us away from him. He casts away fear and replaced it with love. Here's the second thing he says that we can do that priests couldn't do. We can go confidently because there's no condemnation. Because when God sees me, he sees Jesus because I'm in Christ. There are only two types of people sitting in this room today. Those that have not been born again and you are still in Adam. And those that have been born again, and you are in Christ. And when God sees me, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Confidently, because there's no condemnation. Guilt, fear, and shame. The three foreigners that came into the garden immediately when man sinned. Do you know how much big pharma makes treating people with fear and guilt and shame. Let me give you other clinical words for it. Depression. Anxiety. Do you know how much medication is being... Dis- and, and, and if you're on... Um, listen, this is no condemnation on anybody. You may have a chemical imbalance. Wonderful. God bless you. But there is no medication that you will ever take that will ever... Con- Control or be able to replace you renewing your mind, setting your mind on Christ so that the peace of God rules and reigns in your heart. Many people that are on medication need to have their mind renewed with the word of God. Is this okay? Yes. 
fear, guilt, shame. God never intended man to live with that, and that's why people have to medicate to be able to live that way. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. The Passion Translation says it like this. Oh, now the case is closed. There remains no accusing, what? Voice of condemnation for those who are joined in life union with Jesus. How many of you are born again? then you can never be condemned ever again because Jesus was condemned on the cross for you so you would never have to be condemned again. Guilt, gone because of the blood of Jesus. Fear, gone because of perfect love. Shame, gone because he took our shame upon the cross because the Bible says, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And then thirdly, it says we can come boldly. Boldly. Because no child ever has to be bashful before his father. Ephesians 1.5 says, For it was always in God's perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades, what? Over us would glorify God's riches at Christ's expense. For the same love that he has for his Jesus, he has the same love he has for Jesus, he has for me. The same love he has for Jesus. He has, say that with me. The same love that he has for Jesus, he has for me. And now this unfolding plan brings him great joy since we are now joined to Christ and have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. A total cancellation of our sin. Total cancellation of our sin. Hebrews 4.16 says, So now we draw near freely and boldly where... What? what? It's where? Okay, listen. The throne of grace. The throne of God is now the throne of grace, the throne of love. To receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can run to God's throne when we sin and not run and hide like Adam and Eve. For the child of God, the throne of God is now the throne of grace. Now, I, I don't know what picture you get in your mind when you think of the throne of God. I, I talked in the beginning about that. But, but I have a picture in my mind. I have a picture in my mind. Every, every day and every night when Michelle and I pray together, we pray together every night like we did last night. and We pray together most mornings. I pray a simple prayer. It kind of goes like this. And I would encourage every man here just to hold hands with your wife at night. And just pray. Just, just, it doesn't have to be deep. You just, just start off with an Our Father if that's all you know. Just pray. Just pray. We thought one statistic that has nothing to do with this sermon that will help you. 50% of marriages end in divorce. One out of every 1,500 couples that pray together daily get divorced. If I didn't even believe in prayer but love my wife, I'd do that just to get in a new statistic. But when I hold Michelle's hand, here's the prayer that I pray. God, I pray for Jacob, Amy, Lily, Christian, Alex, Eli, Finley, Kate, baby Shiloh, Joseph, Rochelle, John, Wesley, Wesley, who's in your arms, Haddon and Amberly Grace. 
May your blood cover them. May your angels surround them and may you keep them. And Lord, thank you for my baby, my princess, Michelle. That's a prayer every night. And when I say thank you for Wesley, who's in your arms, I want to show you the picture I get every time. I believe that my arms have been replaced by the arms of God. And that is the throne of grace. It's the throne we run to, the throne of love, to receive mercy's kiss. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power of God that reminds us how blessed we are with the overwhelming riches of your grace. If we can run boldly, boldly, confidently, fearlessly, where love is enthroned to receive help for our weaknesses, for our infirmities, for our sins. We never run to a God that shushes us away. We never run to one who's angry with us. That's the one Adam and Eve hid from. That's the one the prodigal son ran from. Not the prodigal father that ran to him. Today, thank you for the throne of grace. Thank you for the throne of grace. Would you just say that with me? Thank you for the throne of grace. Thank you for the throne of grace. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor at junior high school. That day I was born again. The old Jacob died, and a new one was forgiven. His sin canceled, guilt, fear, and removed from his life, and he was spiritually raised from the dead. All in that room where I prayed, that day that happened. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you say, Pastor, then how can I be born again? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Either he died for your sin or you will. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. If you're here and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I want to be born again today. I want to begin my spiritual journey. I want to know God. If that's you, On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up real high and put it back down. I'm the only one looking, and I'm going to pray for you right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just praying for you right where you are. One, God brought you here. Yes, he did. Somebody invited you 
He brought you. Two, nothing in your life happens by accident. God's orchestrated everything leading up to this moment. And now is your moment to be born again. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. I want to pray for you. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, anywhere else, eight, nine, ten. You can put your hands down. Last ten seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have with these ten. I know this is what I need. I need God. I need to surrender to Him. I need a new spiritual life. I need to become spiritually alive. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I'm asking this last time for you. Raise your hand and wave it at me if you didn't raise your hand. Join these 10. Wave it at me. Just wave it at me. All right. All right. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again. We're going to join you in prayer for your new spiritual journey. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm born again in Jesus name. Amen.